Welcome to the Women of Wild podcast, where we explore what it means to be a woman. We will be discussing real life challenges from being a daughter, a wife, a mother, a single mom, and beyond. We're two friends living very different lives. One is married with all girls. The other is divorced with all boys. We're perfect bookends to speak from opposite perspectives on all the things. Our mission is to search out the heart of a woman and to pour into you wherever you are with real life wisdom, actionable steps, and application of the topics we discuss to continue our self-development into a wild woman. That is a woman of wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. So let's go. All right, well, welcome to our next episode of Women of Wild podcast. Today we have a really special friend of mine, Nina Gully. We live in the same neighborhood. We've been friends for several years. And she, this past year, has um, battled um, a tough time with breast cancer. And because October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we thought I asked her if she would come on and share her story in fact, I was really inspired. We played. She's back to playing tennis after um, a, a long time of not being able to do that. And her opponent last week came up to me after our tennis match, and she had already left. But she said she was so inspired by Nina being out there playing tennis in her story. And she said she needs to write that story and share it with people. And I was like, well, I'm not going to write the story but we could share it here on our podcast. And so I really hope that she will be inspiring to those of you that might be going through this journey or know someone close to you that's going through this journey because I've seen her. Well, I didn't see her, but I know it was horrible for the last several months from January, <clears throat> excuse me, until this summer and really through most of the summer. And it's not over yet, but she's, at a place where um, she's playing tennis and doing things that I don't know that she thought she would be doing four months ago. So I'm really excited for her to just give you some inspiration and hope on this journey that she's been on. So Nina, I'd love you to introduce yourself, share a little bit about who you are, your family, whatever you want to add to what I've shared. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, like Sally said, I'm Nina Gully. And I am many, many things, I think. I am uh, a daughter and a mother of two. I have two, well, one teenager and one almost teenager in the house. Uh, I've been married to my husband, Paul, for 21 years, which is incredible, and I can't believe it. Um, I was an attorney, a practicing attorney in a former life, and now I am a full-time stay-at-home mom of these two kids. Um, who are awesome. I have two dogs, two boxers, and they are silly and rambunctious and absolutely chaotic. And we call them the delinquents for many, many reasons. Um, and most recently this year, I am a breast cancer patient, um, which has been a certainly surprise twist to my life. And um, we've been navigating that road this year. So again, thank you for having me. I'd love to talk about my journey and help anyone um, in any way that I can. It's nice to meet you, Nina. This is our first time meeting. So uh, my curiosity into digging into who you are and your journey is going um, to be just that. It's going to be a brand new introduction. So 
I hope we can bring that to the podcast episode today as well. I love it. Great to meet you, Debbie. I would love to hear a little bit because I didn't really even hear this from you when it happened. I know last January was a devastating time for you. And I remember you tried to call me, which I thought was a little bit odd because usually we would text and we kept missing each other. And I finally saw um, when you made the private Facebook group um, what was going on with you with this breast cancer diagnosis and journey. And I was floored by that and realized, oh, I wish I had picked up that phone. I was busy and I thought I'll just call her back. And then I was thinking, oh, I missed that important call. And um, But I would love to hear a little bit about that experience of just getting that diagnosis in the beginning of your journey, because I'm sure that was, I really can't even imagine how um, maybe shocking and devastating that was. Well, yes, I think you are exactly right. Shocking and devastated is how I, shocked and devastated is how I felt for the best part of the beginning of this year. And, um, you know, I find, I found out my breast cancer um, through my own self-exam. And that's been an important thing, an important thread that I've carried out throughout the year and talked about so much this year. But it all sort of happened at the end of 2021. My husband and I decided after two very long quarantined years that we needed to travel. And so with one of our closest family friends, we booked a trip to Hawaii uh, for a week over Thanksgiving. And it was in every way a dream vacation. And actually, I, I every time I think back to that vacation, it was perfect from start to finish. Everybody, everything about Hawaii was an absolute dream. We were with our close friends. We experienced everything from waterfalls and swimming in the ocean and snorkeling and kayaking. It was, when I tell you it was a dream vacation, it was just the perfect conclusion to two quarantined years and um, really just magical in every single way. Hawaii, I think, is just magical anyway. And um, it was interesting because even though I was having the time of my life and we had packed everything into this week, um, I wasn't feeling well. And I hadn't been feeling well for a while. And the best I could tell you is that I just felt tired. I would wake up in the morning and I was just tired. Um, but tired isn't the right word either. I was kind of fatigued and I just didn't feel right. And to really kind of overshare, I am a, in every way a middle-aged suburban woman. I'm slightly overweight. I, for years and years and years, drove a minivan. I haul kids around. I am mostly in yoga pants and an oversized shirt. It's th There's nothing really remarkable about me. But what I had been noticing was that my formerly saggy right breast had taken on a little perk, a little life of its own. It's almost like I was wearing a push-up bra, but just on one side of my body. And I had noticed this for actually months. And I was like, this is an odd new development. Is there something about middle age that I didn't know? Um, instead of sagging, I'm having some reverse sagging going on. Um, and it became really, really noticeable on that Hawaii trip. I was in a bathing suit and I thought, this is so odd. I mean, I'm I'm used to the usual middle-aged droop and 
now I'm sort of uneven because my right side is quite perky. I feel like my right boob is in its 20s, whereas my left boob is most definitely, <laughs> most definitely middle-aged. Um, and so that just was something in the back of my mind. So when we got home um, in December, I decided this is really odd. I mean, this is really odd that this breast is so different. Um, and there were obvious changes physically to that breast. It, it, in addition to being perkier, suddenly it was a little lumpier and my nipple was looking a little different. Um, so I decided to just, just to rule things out, go to my normal gynecologist, made a, a regular appointment to my gynecologist for a breast exam. I had done a breast exam. I really, to be honest, couldn't feel anything, but I also didn't know what I was feeling for. Um, did you have pain? I had no pain, no pain, no discharge, nothing. I just had a nice, perky, fresh 20 year old boob. It looked great. It was actually beautiful. Um, except when you compared it to the other one, which was definitely saggy and middle-aged. Um, so I went in for a breast exam and the results were inconclusive. Um, my usual doctor was out. Um, I had a substitute doctor in, a fill-in, another doctor in the practice. And she's like, you know what? This could be a cyst. I'm not feeling clear margins. I'm not really sure what's happening here, but we're going to go ahead and send you in for a needle biopsy. And so I sort of left thinking, well, it could be a cyst. It could be nothing. It could be my imagination. You know, who knows? Um, and so I scheduled a needle biopsy. That was my next step in the hospital. And all I can tell you about a needle biopsy is that it is not a pleasant experience, but you know, I got through it. Um, you're awake and they put a little numbing agent on you, but really there's not a lot of numbing going on. And um, they removed, a, I, I guess, a specimen to study and evaluate further. Um, but then and there, the doctor who performed the needle biopsy said, I am very concerned. Those are the words that she spoke to me. And if you know me, it doesn't take much for me to go into a total tailspin. So when she used those words, I am very concerned. I heard those words. I can still hear those words 10 months later, echoing around in my brain. I said those words to my husband. I said those words to my parents. I said those words to my closest friends. And everyone tried to reassure me and said, she's just concerned. But I knew. I just, in that moment, I knew that it was worse than I could have imagined and I totally went off the deep end. So needless to say, with medicine, it took another week before I actually got the results. It was supposed to take two to three days. I don't know. There were lab delays. And um, a week later, that same doctor called me and said, you're positive for breast cancer, and here are some referrals for some surgeons. You need to go in immediately. And that's really how it all started. So I will tell you that the day of the needle biopsy, when that doctor said, I am very concerned, um, that was the day that I was, that was, I would say for me, that was the day that I completely fell apart. Um, and I don't think I've really fully gotten it together yet, you know, 10 months later. Well, only 10 months in you, that you're still processing, aren't you? I think I'll be processing this forever. Yeah. I really do. Um, I'm already an overthinker and over an analyzer, but I think I will process this forever because not that I ever thought I was immortal and not uh, certainly not that I've ever thought that I had a body that would outlast really anything, but 
it is quite a shock to the system to realize how temporary this body is and this experience is. And um, I don't know. It comes with so many realizations um, of how fleeting your time really is. Right. Do you know anybody that has breast cancer or has fought breast cancer or a family member? No. So what's interesting is I later on, I did a full DNA profile and um, we have no breast cancer in our family, no family history, no genetic markers. So I was what they called a spontaneous case. Uh, 15 to 20% of all breast cancers are spontaneous. Um, there's no family history. There's no genetic indication that you will develop breast cancer. It just happens because the stars aligned the way they did. Um, So I didn't know anyone with breast cancer. I barely paid attention to breast cancer awareness every October. I sort of probably scoffed at the ladies wearing pink. I certainly did not donate to any causes. In all ways, I was... um, I don't know. And so many, I, I was just a negligent woman in that way. It just wasn't on your radar. Absolutely not. Yeah. I found a really interesting statistic about mammograms. And I want to go back to the way that you had been diagnosed, that it did not come from a, any kind of screening. It was self-screening, right? Correct. Um, self-evaluating. And I found a, a statistic that actually said only 1% of the women that are diagnosed with breast cancer actually get that diagnosis from mammogram screenings. And that was really interesting to me. It's incredibly fascinating. And I think it's um, something I've read as well and heard as well. And, you know, Sally, who knows me, knows that I talk about this now all the time. But I think self-exams are critical. And it may very well be the hill that I die on, and and no pun intended, but kind of pun intended. Um, They take two minutes. They're in, in the shower. And I think any woman or any person with breast tissue needs to be diligent about examining themselves. I will tell you that um, I had clear tumors, large tumors. And because I wasn't familiar with my body shape, I didn't know they were tumors. Ironically, neither did the first doctor I saw either. She didn't realize they were tumors when in fact they were well-defined tumors um, and large ones at that. But I often think if I had actually gotten familiar with how my body feels normally as a baseline, then I certainly would have noticed those changes a lot sooner than I did. I waited to have a perky boob and sort of crack jokes in my own head about it uh, before it ever occurred to me uh, to follow up and do something. Um, So I'm a big proponent of breast exams. I have a teenage daughter. This is a topic that initially was very weird for us to talk about, but has become incredibly normal for me. And really, I'll tell you that if, I mean, you are not safe for me if you see me in a grocery store line or in the dentist's office, I am going to tell you to check your breast tissue. And I'm going to tell you to get real comfortable with your body. And it just doesn't have to be a weird or uncomfortable thing at all. And I don't think it should be. I think if more women knew how their bodies felt, then certainly they would be attuned to any changes. That's so good. That's so. Let's go back to the mammogram one part on that. I just wanted to question, did you get regular mammograms prior to your diagnosis? I did. I got annual mammograms, interestingly enough, except for during our two-year quarantine. And I just sort of thought I'm under the age of 45. I am healthy. I'm fine. It's really challenging to get out of the house right now. And really, most doctor's offices were saying that unless it's medically necessary, 
just stay home. So I missed one year uh, with a mammogram and that could have been the year um, that they caught it because uh, apparently my tumors had been growing for two years, two years. That's the estimated time. Wow. That is unreal. And so you said there's no family history. Another statistic showed that 75% of the women diagnosed do not have family history of breast cancer. Isn't that shocking? That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Because we put so much stock in following the trend of our DNA and our uh, genetics that uh, breast cancer just doesn't follow the rules on that. I don't think it does. I would love for you to share because I heard you talk about this recently, and then I saw another woman that I know post on Facebook the same type of research that has been done that has changed her diagnosis from stage four to stage two, like you said. And so that was eye-opening to me when you were talking about that the other night. But I would love for you to share a little bit about how being diagnosed now has been actually a, a, a blessing in your life where being diagnosed before, I think you said 2019, um, would have had a different outcome possibly. Well, one thing I would absolutely like to say is that breast cancer research is ever evolving. There is a lot of funding, although never enough, um, and a lot of awareness, which I think is so critical. There, Again, never enough as far as I'm concerned. Um, But the research is ongoing. There are trials constantly. Um, there are new drugs and new uh, treatment courses being pushed through the FDA, um, even as we speak. Um, and for me in particular, I was one thing, and I'll back up. Um, breast cancer is really an umbrella diagnosis. There are so many types and varieties. There's so many hormone uh, influences. There are so many different factors involved in breast cancer. So what by saying breast cancer, really what we're saying is there's this umbrella diagnosis and each case is very, very unique and very specific. Having said that, I was diagnosed with what's known as a triple hormone positive uh, breast cancer diagnosis. And at one point, that would have been um, a death sentence. And when I say at one point, really in our very, very recent history, that would have been a death sentence. But because there's been so much research, um, there are new drug treatments available constantly. And the ones I'm on um, target these hormones very, very specifically to inhibit tumor regrowth and um, just generally to extend life. Um, I'm super grateful for that, but I think it's important to note that there are different treatment courses um, for the very specific types of cancer, and um, yeah, the research is ongoing. I'm a huge proponent of funding that research until we really can find cures for all these different strains. That is such, that's news to me. I had no idea we'd make that many strides in just the recent years, that it would be make that much of a difference in your experience. Absolutely. If you had been diagnosed three years prior, that's unbelievable. The very specific drug that I'm taking right now, my it's a it, I refer to it as chemo light. It's a targeted chemotherapy. It was only passed uh, through the FDA in 2019, wow. which to me is startling and uh, and mind blowing um, because I was very much a fully formed person in 2019. This was in my very very in all of our very recent uh, pasts, and so. 
I am grateful for that treatment that's available to me now. Can you get a little bit more detailed about the treatment and how, like the from the point that you got the diagnosis, I know that that was a, a whole big experience for you and it was a whole big season. And then you had to make cho- a lot of choices and decisions, right? There was probably not just a black and white thing that you could decide on, but lots of choices. Could you walk us through your treatment? Sure. I mean, I will tell you that the road moved very, very quickly Mm -hmm. from the time I received my diagnosis to the time I was sitting in a chemotherapy infusion chair was less than a month. Um, And in that time, I also had a port installed. A port, for anyone who doesn't know, is um, sort of a catheter. It's kind of a main line. It's a, a device that's implanted in your chest so that the drugs can be administered directly into your body uh, for maximum efficiency, I guess. And um, so I was in the chemo chair within a month. And that was really any delay there was sort of on my behalf and due to my hesitation, because I think my oncologist would have had me in the chair much sooner than that. Um I am very fortunate. I live in a large city. I have access to excellent medical care. And really, I had sort of a buffet of top oncologists to choose from. So I consider myself incredibly fortunate. Uh, I know there are other areas of the world that maybe that's not an option. I uh, did minimal research, I will tell you. Um, But I found sort of the top surgeon in the area who happens to practice 45 minutes from my home. I thought that was a very reasonable drive to to have great uh, care. Same thing with my oncologist, less than 45 minutes away. And now I certainly, I, I go to a radiation oncologist every single day, also less than 45 minutes away from my house. So that has been, for me, a huge blessing um, to have top-notch medical care. Every day? That's right. So I, my treatment, um, I'm sort of in round two of my treatments. Last January, I started my first course of chemo. That was full on chemo. I was very, very ill. I was again in the 15% of the population that reacted very badly to chemotherapy. And I would say that I was bedridden for a solid part of five months. I was in very poor shape. I lost a lot of weight, uh, very skeletal, um, and just was incredibly ill. Uh, because chemotherapy drugs, although they are targeting cancer cells and they are kind of killing off the bad cells, they also really clear the clear the entire territory. And um, I was in poor physical health, but technically getting better. Um, and so I, I went through round one of chemo. I was allowed to take a month off, which was great, before I had a double mastectomy and I had And I always say this wrong. I had my lymph nodes removed since my cancer had spread uh, beyond the breast tissue. Um, And it's a lymphadectomy. I am saying that wrong, so I'm just going to say it once poorly. Uh, But I had a large cluster of lymph nodes removed. And then I had some recovery time on that. And now I'm on round two, my second course of chemo along with radiation. So radiation is a shorter event. For me, it's 25 consecutive sessions, but they're daily. So it's been very intense. I'm sort of midway through that now. Well, then in that case, thank you very much for carving out time for our oh, podcast. Oh, and that That's a lot <laughs> for every single day. Radiation, I've been lucky. I've had minimal side effects. I've mostly been tired, uh, but I think that's my MO now. I'm tired. If you ask me how I'm feeling, I'm tired. I feel great, but I'm tired. Um, 
But yeah, that's been a daily event and I've had minimal side effects, which is nice. Could you share a little bit, because I know you're um, the beginning, the first round of chemo for that five months was really hard. And I'd love for you to share a bit, a little bit about like what kind of kept you going? How did you keep fighting that fight? Because I, I know there's times when you wanted to give up. I see you now. And I'm sure like looking back, you're just amazed you came through that and grateful. But also, I know those days were really hard on you and your yeah. family. And I'd love to just hear how that was for you, because I'm sure there's some women out there that are just suffering through that right now. Maybe you can encourage. Absolutely. Them. I will. I, to answer your question backwards, yes, it was worth it. Sitting where I am today, yes, it was worth it. Having said that, there's no real good way to sugarcoat it. It was the worst and most miserable experience that I've ever had, that I can ever imagine, and that I would never wish on my very worst enemy. Um, I spent five months having a terrible reaction to the drugs that I was administered. And um, and, by, and when I say a terrible reaction, I was bedridden. I was vomiting six, seven times a day. Couldn't even make it to the bathroom. I just doubled over a bucket. Um, couldn't keep down food. Could barely keep down liquids. Had to go multiple times to the hospital to uh, be given fluids. It was horrifying. Um, my mind was completely... I felt like I was in a fog or in a daze. I couldn't participate in any way or shape in my own life. And if you know me in my normal day-to-day -day life, I am a relatively big presence, I would say, in my home and in my family. And um, I mean, I couldn't even lift a finger. I just laid there. Um, there were days that I would lay in bed for 24 straight hours, which is just unfathomable to me now. But that was very much my reality. So I will say that I am very, very fortunate um, because I was in a position to do that. I had the gift. I didn't have a responsibility to a job or a career. My children were are older and have become incredibly self-sufficient, mostly through this journey. And I had a partner who stood by my side. I know and I have heard uh, over and over again, as I have met more and more women with breast cancer, how they've been fully abandoned in this process. And I really had the golden egg because I was fully supported by friends and family throughout all of this. But having said that, there were many, many days where I wanted it to end. And I would really sort of beg my husband to end it. Um, it's hard to talk about now, but it was very, very real. And so I think often, Sally, you and I have, have talked a lot about external and internal motivation. I would say that it, I was, I had next to no internal motivation to go on. And it was almost 100% uh, because of my husband and my kids that I kept going on for one more day. So that was very hard. There is really no way to sugarcoat that. That was horrifying. Now, people have different experiences with chemo and some people... Few people are perfectly fine. Most people feel unwell. Um, it's rare to be as ill as I was. I was, I guess, in that lucky that lucky group. But um, yeah, I, I I didn't want it to go on, and I did not see a light at the end of uh, at the end of the tunnel. I did not see a happy ending. I did not see. I really couldn't see 
three seconds beyond the the moment that I was in. And that was a horrifying, dreadful moment. And I did not want to go on. So uh, not really the happiest story, but um, it, for me, it has ended up in a much better place. When you were going through the choices and the, uh, the treatment, getting started with treatment, how much input did you have from the team of doctors that was overseeing your treatment? Did they really have strong opinions and helping you make that choice and not just opinions, but strong data to help you make that choice, whether these things were really forecasting to be a good outcome for you? Yes. Uh, again, when I say I was very fortunate, I had a team that worked very close with closely with me. We were very much a partnership and I at no point felt like they were dictating my course of action. I will also say that I am a strong researcher and my husband is a strong researcher as well. So we researched every single drug therapy option available. We came up with suggestions. We talked about it. So it felt very much like a partnership. Um, My oncologist was very sensitive to my personality type, that need for information, that need for clarity, that need for options. And I think he understood very quickly that I needed to feel like I had a say in the decision-making. And he was in no way um, bound to sort of controlling the reins there, which I appreciated and I'm forever grateful for. I know other people have had very, very different experiences. uh, And some people have felt like they've had no voice at all in their treatment options. I would say that maybe, I hope I wasn't a rare case, but I certainly felt like I was a partner in my treatment plan. That's fantastic. Uh, I told you a little bit about my brother's struggle with lung cancer, and uh, I don't think that he had the research aspect of it in him to look all of it up, but he did have a medical background. He was an EMT for a season, and so as far as the pharmaceutical side of it, I think he was pretty much connected to that and understanding that, Um, but his... um, as you know, his battle was lost in 2018, and it was a very fast battle. But um, I think I'm going to speak for a lot of people that have never experienced it personally, but have watched it on the sidelines and have come to a conclusion of, um, if I'm ever diagnosed, I don't think I'm going to, I'm, I'm probably not going to choose treatment because there's so many people that had a different outcome than you. And that's kind of the thing that I feel like you're kind of helping me change my mind on is because my brother's um, course of treatment, he was like you, had all the side effects. It was just terrible. And so all of his final days were was in that. That was, the, that was his final days, and he didn't make it out of it. So it almost just sem- seemed like it sped up the process, and his final days were not quality at all. Um, it just went straight from functional to non-functional, to goodbye. And uh, it, it scares somebody on the sidelines to go, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do treatment. But from everything that you're saying to me now, with all the advances in science and with all the options, and the, um, when, especially when you have a partnership of helping you understand all the options, you know, with the medical leaders, that, that seems that's pushing me to the other side. Like, okay, we're in a different season of understanding cancer, especially breast cancer, that his was lung cancer. And I want to make that differential there for sure. But if if you were going to speak to somebody that had drawn that conclusion, not just me, but I know others that have said, oh gosh, treatment is not an option for me. That is too scary. 
what would you say now having been through the battlefield and come out on the other side and you're playing tennis you're 10 months in that is amazing i am i'm playing tennis i'm losing <laughs> but i'm playing tennis <laughs> um Debbie, I think those are incredibly, incredibly valid points because I will tell you that my perspective now is very different than it was three months ago, six months ago, um, and throughout. Um, when I was undergoing that first round of chemo, I will tell you that I said, if not every day, multiple times a day that I want to quit. Because when you talk about your brother being functional to not functional to gone, I went from being functional to not functional at all, and pretty convinced that I was near gone. So um, what I say now is very different than what I would have said when I was in the absolute thick of things. Um, having said that, because I felt like I had a voice and because I felt like I had researched my treatments very, very carefully, and because my oncologist and I had a very open line of communication, I believed that I was going to have a hopeful outcome. I believed it. Some part of me, some tiny nugget of me throughout all of this believed that I was going to be, I was going to find the other side. Whatever that looked like, I didn't know. And I surely didn't have a lot of faith that it was going to look that great. But I did believe that there was an other side. So I understand very much not wanting to go down the treatment path. In so many ways, the treatment was horrible, horrible and horrific and felt so much worse than just being sick with cancer. I thought so many days, let me just do this the way nature intended for me to do it. Let me just have my cancer, let it fester, and then let me go peacefully. Because treatment disrupted my life in such a massive way and made it far, far worse that it was hard to believe that there was going to be a better on the other side. Um, so I will say that. I think it was, it's incredibly valid. Um, I will also say that because there are so many different types of cancer, I think it's important to be realistic about what your, for, for lack of sensitive, of a more sensitive way of saying it, what your chances are and what you want for the time that you have left on this earth. If I had believed, based on my research and based on the type of cancer I had and based on the treatment options available, if I had believed that my eventual outcome would have been an early death, then I would have opted out of treatment. I think that. I firmly believe that because I would have wanted my last bit of time on this earth to not have been spent in agony and in misery. But because of my cancer, because of the type of cancer I had, and because I believed that if I could make it to the other side, whatever that other side was, that I would have a high quality of life and enough time to make it worth my while, enough potential time on earth with my children and with my family and in this life, I chose to undergo treatment and chose to sort of push through. I think that's legitimate, though. I think the way I you answered that is... Um, like you said, there's an umbrella when you get a diagnosis and then there's all these individuals underneath that. And I think that there's a lot of data now that, that can help you make that decision. You know, that if numbers mean something to you, which they do to me, <laughs> if, if, if data. They do to me too. I mean, I knew that if I underwent treatment, I had a 92% chance of making it another five years. To me, that was worth it. Not everyone, are give, not everyone is given those same numbers. 
can you share a little bit about your family? And I know you said your husband and kids were very supportive. I think your parents have been helping you. Um, yes. Just kind of how this has, this is not just your illness. It's really has affected your whole family. And how have they been able to come around you? What support would you have liked for them to have maybe more of? Or, um, you know, I would just like almost to speak to the people who are supporting cancer patients, whether it's family or friends. What what are the helpful things they can do? And what are some of the things that really aren't helpful? You know, a lot of people try to help, but it's not always helpful. Um, you know, yeah. or say that, you know, people don't know what to say. And sometimes it just comes out insensitive or wrong. <laughs> um, but like, have you, what kind of experience have you had with family, friends and neighbors that was positive and negative? Okay. Yeah. The great questions. And I'm going to start with the community first and then get into my family. So I will tell you that um, what was not helpful, I'll just start with that, was any sort of well-intended pseudo-medical advice. I heard from everyone you could possibly imagine that I needed to try these supplements or eat a vegan diet or meditate or have some UV ray therapy or stick a few crystals in my bra. I mean, I heard all of it. And though it was incredibly well-intentioned, it was not helpful to me. First, I had very limited energy and bandwidth. And I certainly didn't want to spend whatever limited energy energy and bandwidth I had thinking about whether I needed to stick a crystal in my bra. But secondly, I w- was very fortunate and very fortunate to have an excellent medical team. And I trusted them and still trust them enough that I adhere to their medical advice. And, um, and I'm in good hands. So I will say that the community overall has been awesome in supporting me. But I'm not, I'm not vegan. And although I think that's a, a perfectly valid diet plan for so many people, that wasn't right for me when I was vomiting six times a day and needed to keep down whatever calories I could. So again, every situation is, is different, but that was not helpful. Now, what was helpful is that I had so much community support. You know, what I did almost immediately was I set up a private Facebook group. I am not a terribly public person. I, to this day, consider myself um, consider myself to have a very close circle, close trusted circle of friends and family. And so I involved that handful of people and they supported me really every step of the way. And, 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 and I would say in all the big and small ways, Big ways, including driving my kids around, delivering meals. I mean, all it was awesome. Offering to do chores around the house, offering to help out with yard work, and and the small ways, which were dropping off magazines in my um in my mailbox, or when I could finally eat and I had an amazing, incredible craving for fresh fruit. I had daily deliveries of fresh fruit just to my door. I would get texts saying step outside, there's something for you. And it would be a pineapple or it would be some fresh strawberries or it would be a fruit salad. And it was lovely. But I got encouraging texts and jokes when uh, on days that I was definitely not laughing. I got a lot of jokes. I mean, these were awesome things. And I would tell you that I had support every single day, every moment of the day. That was such a gift. Um, in terms of the family, 
You're exactly right, Sally. Uh, Cancer affects everybody, everybody in your immediate world, everyone in your immediate sphere in huge ways. I um, was very lucky to have a spouse that stayed with me. I know many people are sort of left in the lowest time of their lives, and I certainly wasn't. And I, I don't, you know, I don't make light of that ever. Um, but my husband suddenly went from working a full-time job to now working a full-time job and running a household and managing our kids and doing the things that normally I sort of did, you know, planning meals. Not that I am any type of domestic goddess, but part of my purview was sort of providing meals and keeping up the house. And that was sort of our division of labor. And so suddenly he was trying to figure out laundry and feed people and still get our kids to their multiple activities. And it was a lot. So I would say that one of the greatest gifts, in addition to having a great support system, is that my support system had a support system. My husband has had a group of guy friends um, for years and years and years, and they certainly looked out for him um, in ways that are different, uh, but but appropriate for him. He's a longtime distance runner, and his running group showed up for him Every single day, every single week, suddenly they changed their times to 5.30 in the morning because that worked out best for his schedule. And these same middle-aged, amazing guys would meet my husband and they would go for their long runs. And he was still invited to nights out, just at friends' houses, to listen to music and have a beer. Um, Or to go on weekend getaways, which I certainly encouraged him to do because he needed that support too. So I will say that Um, it's important for a support system to have a support system too. Um, I also have two kids. I have a teenage daughter, freshman in in high school and a seventh grader in middle school. Um, and my daughter, I would say that she was and continues to be affected hardest by having a mother with cancer. What she did in the short term when I was completely unable to function was that she, suddenly tried to control anything she could because her world felt very, very out of control. Um, Suddenly she was doing dishes and preparing meals and doing laundry and sort of doing things that I would say before that she was not self-motivated to do. And I think in many ways it was because her life felt like it had sort of imploded. And she is not a typically expressive teenager and um, sort of didn't know how to function. So she just controlled what she could. Um, My, in retrospect, and probably my largest regret is that I didn't provide any type of outlet for her to express herself during that time. Um, I think more than anything, she needed someone to talk to. She needed therapy and still does because she held all of her fears in. Um, The other thing I did during that time, which I regret, is because I'm a private person, we sort of as a family decided that we wouldn't broadcast my diagnosis, mostly because we were navigating it uh, and it was changing day by day, um, but also because I just didn't want a lot of people who were I was not invested in having a lot of input in my life during a very, very vulnerable time. But I think what that did was that made it, that sort of sent the message to my children that it was unsafe for them to share this diagnosis either. 
but they couldn't seek out any support during a time when they needed it. And so I regret that very, very much. I mean, I, I would have done it very differently now. Um, but I think my daughter sort of held everything in and still does. And we struggle with that sort of, we're on the other side now where I'm certainly a lot more functional. I'm on round two of sort of this chemo light and I'm in radiation land and I'm functioning and I'm sort of back, not fully restored to my old self, but getting there each day. And things are sort of returning back to normal where she's now less excited to help out with household chores, which is a mixed blessing because she feels like her mom's got it now. Um, so I'm sure that's a relief. But on the other hand, I, I think she has held in a lot of emotions and they sort of erupt in unexpected ways now. Um, as for my son, he fully checked out um, during my diagnosis or during the worst time of my chemo. And so while I was in my bedroom not functioning, he was also in his bedroom not functioning too. Um, so that's really that was really hard for me to sort of process what little bandwidth I had to process that my children were definitely not okay. They were sort of on the surface functioning, going to school, going to their activities, but they were not okay. Um, so my point here, and I think I've taken a long road to it, is that I was very lucky to have support, but I think my support needed more support than they had. I'm just impressed that you're able to recognize that. We're not going to do it all perfectly, especially when you're just hanging on for dear life. Right. You just got to do the best you can. And I believe your kids are going to know that. But I think they'll be able to look back and just see all the things that, you know, you did do and the, the, what you've been able to overcome this past year. I'm just so impressed, even talking to you now and a couple of weeks ago, how much you're just like yourself. <laughs> you know, I think, well, it's I'm myself, but I'm a different version of myself now. I would say that I'm, I, I think I was, I think maybe I was always trying to become this person. And sadly, it was cancer that had to push me into this uh, sort of new phase. But I will tell you that in my life now, and maybe that wasn't the case before, I like to think it was, but maybe it really wasn't. But I definitely, th definitely think today nothing is off the table in terms of conversations that I'm willing to have, things I'm willing to talk about, ways I'm willing to put myself out there, in all the oversharing that I do to everyone in my life. But I like to think, you know, now we talk about everything. Um, my kids and I have had many, many conversations now about death, about kind of living a purpose-driven life, really about finding meaning. I will tell you that I have always been a destination, not the journey person. And that has been a surprising change in my life at this late age. Um, I've very much been goal-driven. I've very much been about that destination, destination, reaching that point and spent very little time or focus or energy on the path there. And certainly now I've become so much more aware of every step, every minute. Um, I think I even told you, Sally, the other day um, to not waste these moments that may seem insignificant to you. I think you told me that a neighbor of yours had had a baby recently. And I said, Sally, go over there. It doesn't matter what you take her. Take some books for her little one. Take a dish. Take a gift card. It doesn't matter because even though it feels small and insignificant for you, you will change her day. Um, 
And I mean that now. Oh, and I cry all the time now. This is a new development. This was not, you know, BC before cancer. This was not me before, but I cry all the time now just because I think those emotions are right there. They're right under the surface now. So yeah, this is, this is, it, it, it just goes to show that as long as you are breathing and as long as you're on this side of the dirt, um, there's still room for growth every day. There's an opportunity for growth and change. And um, just because you didn't do it before doesn't mean that you don't have a chance to be better today. Um, we have a, Sally and I have a mutual friend who I admire very, very much. Her name is Sue Ann. And um, she says something and she, I think maybe she's always said it and I never heard it um, the same way until I did sort of post cancer but she says, I'm only given this day and it's my responsibility to make the most of it. And I, I think maybe before cancer, I sort of thought that that was just a trope or, or something that people said or a nice little Hallmark greeting card. But it hits so deeply for me now. And I think of that every single morning when I open my eyes and I think I only have this day. I only have this day. And it's, I have choices in this day. Um I'm different now, wouldn't you say? I mean, I think you're I think you're shocked that I'm so much restored to myself because I was so very ill, but I think I'm a different version of myself. I agree, and I think what I'm I see is your energy level, your speech, your the way you your your how I remember you as far as like that kind of thing. <laughs> Talking to you, I don't see you as tired and sick, which I kind of expected, really. Um, you know, when we had lunch or we were playing tennis, we played tennis a couple, maybe two weeks ago. I really didn't expect you to play so well and to move so well. I thought you would be just kind of slower and just more tired. And okay. To be clear, I am definitely slower and more tired. <laughs> but I didn't really see that. I mean, I saw you running and getting things. I was just impressed at how far you had come when... I think you had, when we had lunch, I guess it was um, maybe in July, I can't remember, but you, it was not too long after your surgery. So maybe it was August, but you were having a hard time like lifting your arm. Yeah. And so the fact that you were out there another month or two later playing, swinging your arm, I was like very impressed with that. So that was, I guess that's where I'm seeing and that's where I think that journey versus destination has, that distinction has made a difference because I am trying to note every one of those small changes now. You know, I couldn't even lift my arm right after surgery. And for like a good three weeks, I couldn't lift my arm and I couldn't lift anything over five pounds, which is everything. Um, and so to be able to lift a fork to my mouth was a big deal. I mean, I had my husband feeding me for a while. That's pretty, that's pretty humbling, mm -hmm. I would say, to have someone feeding you. Um, it's very sweet in some ways, but it's very, very humbling, especially for an independent, self-sufficient personality like mine. Um, but you're right. And so I try to really, when I, when I can't hit a shot the way I used to, I try to think, well, three weeks ago, I couldn't even lift a racket. So I'm trying to really focus on the progression. Also because car cancer is a moving target. And so there, if you're waiting for that destination, you may never arrive there. And that's what I've learned. You know, cancer is, I, 
it's a constantly changing landscape and you're shooting at a target that's constantly moving. And, you know, before cancer, I didn't think of my life in, in terms of a five-year plan or a three-year plan. Um, but now I certainly do. And then suddenly those three years are so much more meaningful or those five years are so much more meaningful because it's a moving target. You've got to focus on the day that you have. Well, I know Sally is both impressed, but also she's like, well, I already know you and your character prior. And it just, it seems right that this is the way you would respond to such a battle. But for me coming in fresh eyes, not knowing you, highly impressed because you're still in the battle. Oh. You're not, you're not over. You're not on the other side. You're still in it. And I, I love that that's the value that we're bringing today is that we're bringing somebody that has not reached the mountaintop, but yet has, because it's your, I mean, you're speaking our love language when you talk about the journey, not the destination. That is our thing. And you know, in our episodes, we try to pull out the, the wild of every woman, the wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. And in the beginning, you were like, I don't know how much wisdom I've gained. I've heard nothing but wisdom come from your mouth. And I know that what you said is that you're not going to be, nobody's going to be safe if they run into you in the grocery store because you feel such a hunger and an insatiable appetite to share and empower women to try to help them shrink the learning curve, if you will, <laughs> of what you've gone through. And that's impact. And I hear nothing but love coming from the gift of the diagnosis, which I always think there is a gift in every horrible battle and you've received that gift exponentially and I hear that and the dignity that you're bringing to a most undignified disease because it just humbles you in every way I mean not only were you being spoon-fed by your husband but there's lots of other things you haven't shared I'm sure that you would say you're not very dignified about this disease it's not dignified it certainly isn't very humbling very humbling and at the end of the day I hear a wild woman in you. I hear a wild woman that is showing up and showing off with all that you've been given, the strength, the honesty, being able to say that you would do things different and to be transparent. That We also do a takeaway from every episode. I've already decided my takeaway here. Oh, I'm going to try really hard not to get emotional, but you being able to talk about your children and their battle and what you would do different there. That is golden, just absolutely golden. Sorry, I'm a little emotional. Thank you for that. <laughs> time is the one thing that remains undefeated. And so I think back at how much time I wasted or used poorly. And I think now about kind of seizing those moments and same thing with relationships. I invested in relationships that were not right for me. And it was really important throughout this cancer journey for me to sort of send people off and wish them well and realize that we no longer served one another in any way that was beneficial for either one of us. And that was a huge gift too. I mean, to, to let people go, to bring other people in. I've always had a very, very small circle. And I've also been very intuitive in my circle selection. I mean, I met Sally only seven years ago but I knew she was my person and I will keep her forever. And that's just how I am. I know what I know about people. And I don't need to talk to you every day and I don't need to check in every single minute of every day. But I know I know who my, my people are. And I've gotten very confident in my cancer journey, sort of trusting 
the people have who I've brought in my life and tr- and really recommitting to investing in them because you know I, I know we've all heard this and maybe it's true and maybe it's not but we're the composite of the people we spend the most time with and that we're closest to and certainly I love my people I have warrior women in my circle I have women who are authentic and seeking their own paths of truth and authenticity in their lives and choosing um, choosing things that sort of bolster that in, in, in every day. I mean, I, I, I want that circle. I want to be that woman. I want to be around those women. Um, so I think that very much in, in the circle that I've selected, I think that very much in terms of the family that I have and that I hope that I continue to invest in. Um, so yeah, I think time is time is undefeated. So how you choose your time, how to spend your time, I, I, cancer certainly has sharpened that focus for me. Before this journey, I had sort of measured my life in acts, like acts of a play. You know, I had my childhood, and then I had my student years, and then I had my early newlywed days, and I had the my career, um, and then I sort of had this, I was in this act of stay-at-home parenthood, this sort of new phase of domesticity. And it's I, I've sort of scrapped that whole schema now because my life was before cancer and after cancer and how I choose to live that second act now because now I consider myself in the second act, the, the, the post-cancer era is very much colored and influenced by everything that came before. And it's just, it, it's, it's different now. It's different now. I'm I'm no longer measuring these landmarks. Um, And again, it goes back to sort of no longer measuring the destinations and sort of keeping my eye on today. Do you have anything else that you would like to share with us? Is there anything else on your heart that is coming up for you? I'm so grateful to have been asked. Thank you. And I'm so grateful that I, you know, had a chance to talk about a little bit of my story. There are so many women um, and their families and their communities affected by bre- not only breast cancer, but all types of cancer. Um, so I thank you both for making this topic uh, sort of important and um, recognized on your podcast. Well, thank you, Nina. I appreciate you coming on and carving out time for this. I hope it blesses you as much as it's going to bless all of our audience. Thank you so very much for having me. This was such a gift. Thank you for being here. And until next time, stay wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked and what your main takeaways were. We'd also love to know what topics you'd want to hear about on future episodes. To connect with us further on social media or to learn more about our services, click on the links in the show notes or email us at womenofwildpodcast at gmail.com. And if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it. To continue the discussion about this episode, join us in our private Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. Until next week, stay wild. Stay wild.